the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC, Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Every Christian can have and should have assurance of their salvation. You don't have to live wondering one day to the next if you're really saved. If you can examine your life and see that you do loving, sacrificial things for other Christians, then you have a genuine concern to minister to other children of God only because God has transformed your life. And so you can rest in the fact that you're saved. You can persuade your heart that you're saved because God's word has said this and you don't have to fear dying. You'll stand in his presence because Christ has paid for your sins. Jude closed out his short epistle with a wonderful doxology that begins with these words. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and, now listen to this, to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. It's amazing that until Christ cleansed us from sin, We could not even survive exposure to God's glory. But Jesus has made us able not only to survive it, but to enjoy it. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are just a few days from concluding a wonderfully encouraging series of lessons about recognizing the children of God. In John's first letter to the churches, he told us that we can know for sure whether or not we have eternal life. He gave three tests, one of which is our love for other believers. But none of us ever loves our brothers and sisters as well or as consistently as we should. And for some of us, that inconsistency is alarming. Let's turn to 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. We'll find tremendous reassurance in those verses and the ones to follow. Here's Pastor Steve. We look at the first way that loving the brethren assures us of our salvation because it assures us that we are of the truth. That's the language that John uses. Let's look at verse 19. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. Now, John begins by telling us that if we look at our lives, and we must because we're given objective tests, we have to look at our lives to see if we pass these tests. But if we look at our lives, and we must, and we see then that we do love other Christians in a way that is genuine, in that we do give. And there are times we do sacrifice for the sake of other believers. And there are times that we do give our energy and our time and our material resources to others. Then by this kind of love, John says, we will know that we are of the truth. Now, what does John mean by this unique expression, we are of the truth? Well, the the way that it reads literally in the Greek text is this, out of the truth we exist. Out of the truth we exist. And what John means by this phrase is that the source of our spiritual lives is from God, and specifically the truth of God. In other words, 
we believe the truth, which is the gospel message, and we were born again. We are out of the truth. That's how we exist. We exist because we came to the truth. The truth gripped our hearts. We've been born again by the truth of the word of God. This is simply another way of saying that by loving the brethren, we prove that we're born again. We prove that we're of God. We prove that we are true believers. And so John's point is that if your life is characterized by loving other Christians, then this is the absolute evidence that you have been born again. Because unbelievers do not in any way love God's children. He's already pointed that out. In fact, they, he said they hate the brethren. They don't love God's people. And it is this knowledge that we are of the truth, John says, that assures our hearts. And, and notice he says that assures our hearts before the Lord. He says that in verse 19. Look at that again. We will know by this that we are of the truth and we'll assure our hearts before him, meaning before the Lord. So if you can look at your life and you can see that you have loved God's people in deed and in truth, not in perfection, but there is evidence that you have in, loved in deed and in truth. And scripture says you have a settled confidence before him. Now let's consider what John is saying here because this is actually a tremendous statement. Before him means we stand before him in the sense of accountability. The Greek word that he uses for assure, at least that's how it's translated in my New American Standard Bible. Assure means to persuade. That's its basic meaning, to persuade. Our hearts are persuaded that we know him. In other words, loving other Christians as evidence of our salvation persuades us that we are true believers and that we can stand before God with absolute confidence. Now, what's interesting is one examines the nuances of this particular Greek word that usually means persuade. It, it is that also it carries the thought of, of resting, being at rest or to reassure in the sense of being calm and, and tranquil. Now what's so interesting and really remarkable about this is that John is teaching us that loving the brethren is able to put our hearts, which in this context, hearts simply means our conscience, at rest. Our hearts are at rest. We're not troubled. And John adds, it's at rest before him, meaning before God. Now think about this for a moment. Most people, when they think of standing before the Lord or having any kind of accountability before him, are terrified. Absolutely terrified to be in the presence of God because God is perfectly holy and we are absolutely wretched and sinful. This was the experience of many people we read about in the Bible. For example, in Isaiah chapter 6, the Old Testament prophet, when given a vision of God's holiness, he said, I am a man of unclean lips. Even the great prophet Isaiah recognized when he gazed upon God's holiness that he was so sinful. And it was after God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter Three, through that burning bush experience, we read that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Moses had a glimpse of God in the sense of the bush would not burn. In fact, God said, take off your sandals. The place that you are standing is holy ground. Moses hid his face. He was afraid to look at God. But John here says that the Christian today who recognizes that he does love other Christians persuades his heart that he's been converted and therefore he is not frightened 
to be accountable to God and to know that someday he'll actually physically stand in his presence. He knows that he can stand in God's presence because Christ, by his amazing grace and his love, has paid for every one of his sins and therefore, John says, his heart is calm. It's at rest. He's ready to die. He's ready to be transported to the presence of God immediately. However, sad to say, and this is really the point of the passage, this is not true of every Christian. Because as we've already noted, there are some believers who look at their failures to love other Christians and they get very introspective and this leads to feelings of extreme guilt so that they feel condemned and they question how they could ever possibly think that they were saved when they fail so often. And John knows that this is a real problem in many believers. And so he goes on to say in verse 20, In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Now, these words are simply a continuation of the last verse. And taken together, they mean that we can have assurance of our salvation even when our hearts condemn condemn us about not being loving like we should be. And the reason we can have this assurance is because God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. Essentially, that's what he means. But now let's analyze it. Now let's dig in and see what, what exactly is John saying by these words. Because what he has to say here is not only important, folks. It may very well be the truth that frees you from having doubts about your salvation. So listen closely. John recognizes, because he probably experienced this himself, that there are times when we feel very convicted about not showing love to another Christian. I mean, there are times in my life I'm convicted over this. There are times in your life, every Christian has that. If they don't admit that, they're, not, they're just not telling the truth and they ought to be convicted about lying. So John recognizes there are times when all of us feel very convicted about not showing love to another believer. And when we do this, conviction means we hear our conscience rise up and accuse us with thoughts like, how can you be a true Christian when you're so selfish and unloving? Condemns us. Or if you really love that person, you wouldn't have spoken so harshly to them. You would have given them some money to help a need. How can you, you claim to be a Christian, but you don't act like one, how can you really be a Christian? Now, as I said, we've all had thoughts like this. We've all had times when our hearts were convicted over a lack of love. And our conscience, that moral monitor that God has given us, has risen up and accused us. And there are some believers who tend to experience this a lot more than others because they have a very sensitive conscience, sometimes oversensitive, and they are bothered a great deal by these kinds of thoughts and these kinds of accusations. So what John is teaching here, he's giving a solution. John has a solution for us when we are convicted over our lack of love and specific instances where we have failed to show love to other Christians. What is his solution? There is a solution here. Now watch this. John tells us that we can still even with all of our failures, still have assurance of our salvation because even though there are times when we are regrettably unloving, note this, 
there are still plenty of times when we have been sincerely and genuinely loving to other Christians. There have been times. That's precisely the point that John is making when he put verses 19 and 20 together. Let me read it to you as it would read together, and I'll stop and explain. He says, we will know by this, by what is this? By this love that we have for other Christians, this demonstration of love for other Christians. We will know by this, our love for other Christians, that we are of the truth and will assure our hearts before him, that is the assurance that we've been born again. In whatever our heart condemns us. In other words, even when our heart condemns us over incidents when we did not show love, we can still have assurance of our salvation because we know there have been other times when we have been loving to Christians. It may not be as much as we'd like, but there have been other times With a non-Christian, there are no times that he has any affection and any concern and any love for a Christian. See, no matter how many times you have failed to show love, there are other times when you have shown love. And it's those times of being loving that you need to focus on because those positive expressions of love ought to assure your heart that you're really a child of God. See, what John is calling us to do is not to focus on what we haven't done in terms of loving people, but what we have done. That's the point. As Christians, we have many sinful failures, not only in love, but in all kinds of areas. But we're not to dwell on those failures. That's what an oversensitive conscience tends to do. That's what a person with a certain disposition, a sort of melancholy personality does. They tend to analyze too much, overanalyze and get overly introspective. Rather than have a healthy self-examination, they have a morbid self-examination. John is saying, don't dwell on those failures. That leads to thinking that you're not saved. Don't dwell on those failures. Recognize them. Don't ignore them, certainly. Recognize them, confess them as sin, and thank God that he has already forgiven you in Christ, but don't keep thinking about those sins. Because if you do, you'll fall into spiritual despair and discouragement and think that you're not saved. Instead, he tells us, dwell on those times when you did demonstrate love. You did it by doing specific acts of kindness to a believer in Christ because those acts of kindness did not originate with you. They're not, they're not born of you. They're born of the Spirit of God. They were produced by the Holy Spirit through you. And they prove that you have been transformed by God's grace and therefore that you are a true Christian. If you were not a true Christian, you couldn't look at any evidence. There would be no indication that you had any love for another Christian. There'd be, there'd be no acts of kindness. Nothing in your past that would indicate that, yes, you, you did demonstrate sacrificial love for another believer. So let that evidence of your love settle the issue of assurance forever and stop doubting whether or not you are a Christian. If there is any love, and if you can look back and say, yes, I've seen this, 
in my life. Yes, I, I do demonstrate sacrifice for others and because they're believers. Yes, I, I have given of my money. I have given of my time. I have given of my possessions. I have given of my energy and I want to do that and I continue to want to do that even though I fail many times. If that's true in your life, then you are a believer and you don't need to doubt it because no unbeliever would have any evidence like that. I love what, once again, James Boyce wrote about this. He said, here's an active taking hold of oneself and reminding oneself of objective personal acts flowing from the divine nature. And he says, and it's striking. For John is not saying that we are to indulge our feelings of doubt or encourage introspection. We are not even to pray about the matter. We are not even to let go and let God, as some say. We are to seize, he says, our minds and by the grace of God turn ourselves around and we are to do that by focusing on specific past acts of the divine love. It's exactly what John means. Now, someone may say, but my sin is ever before me. There are so many times when by my words and my actions I have been unloving and I'm very convicted of my sin. I haven't spoken well to this person. I haven't gone out of my way to do anything kind. So what do I do? Because these are very real convictions of sin. Then John says, notice at the end of verse 20, he says, you are to take comfort in the fact that God is greater than your heart, and he knows all things. Now, what does John mean by this? This is tremendous. He means this. When your heart convicts you of sin, you can substitute your conscience for heart here, convicts you of sin, then take comfort in the fact that God is greater than your heart and knows all about your sin. Meaning this, folks, when you have doubts about your salvation because of your sins, then you need to remember, even though you sin a lot, God knows all about it. He knows all about you. He knows all of your failures to love others, but he is taking care of those sins by placing them on Christ and saving you. And the proof that he has saved you and transformed your life is that you do, at least to some extent, demonstrate true love. God does that through you to other Christians. And therefore, believe the assurance he has given you because he is greater than the conviction of sin that you feel. God is greater than whatever your conscience says to you. Now, don't deny your conscience. Your conscience is telling you it's wrong. But if your conscience condemns you, don't listen to it in that sense. God is greater than any conviction of sin you can have. He's superior because he has saved you in Christ. You see, even when we fail to love, and we fail so often, don't we? God knows what's going on in your heart. He sees that you have desires to be loving and kind even when you blow it. Even when you don't actually show kindness, he sees that you want to do what's right. He knows that those affections are there only because he has planted them there. He's greater than condemnation from our hearts and he knows all about you. He knows what you want to do even when you don't do it. So even when you feel a bit overwhelmed by your sin, you know what you do? You say with Peter, remember at the end of John's gospel in John chapter 21, Jesus said, Peter, three times he said, Peter, do you love me? 
And finally, Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. That's really what we say. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. You know that I love other people even when I fail. Thank you for the assurance of salvation because I know that that comes from you. So listen, every Christian can have and should have assurance of their salvation. You don't have to live wondering one day to the next if you're really saved. If you can examine your life and see that you do loving, sacrificial things for other Christians, as I said, could be your time, could be your possessions, then you have a genuine concern to minister to other children of God only because God has transformed your life. And so you can rest in the fact that you're saved. You can persuade your heart that you're saved because God's word has said this and you don't have to fear dying. You'll stand in his presence because Christ has paid for your sins. And when your sin does rise up to condemn you, then immediately go to the word of God, specifically to these verses that say that loving the brethren is the proof of salvation because God is greater than your sinful accusations. And therefore, because he's greater, he should be believed, not the condemnation. But listen, we do have to say this. If you don't love the brethren at all, This is just foreign stuff to you in any way, and you have never had any kind of special affection and interest in Christians, then you do need to be saved. Now, John was convinced that his readers were believers, but each of us needs to be convinced before the Lord, and you can be, and that's why this is written in the Word. I trust that the Spirit of God has enabled you to understand this passage and that you'll apply it to your life and that you will rest in the assurance that God offers and gives us in Christ. And if you know of, of believers who are struggling in this area, then teach them this. Get them, get them the CD on this. Let them understand that they don't need to forfeit assurance. It's theirs. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these precious verses. We know it's part of a larger section. We know we'll get to it. But may these truths sink in, Lord. May we, who are your children, not be so overly introspective that we focus only on what we have not done rather than what we have done. And may we recognize that what we have done in loving the brethren and in other areas, obeying you as well, we only can do that because of your work of transformation in our lives. So help us to rest in that. Help us to receive what your word has to say, Lord, for you are greater than our hearts condemning us. And because of your greatness, the death of Christ is sufficient for our sin. And we believe you. We believe what your word has to say. And you know all things about us, Lord. You know that even when we speak harshly to someone, even when we fail to be sensitive and thoughtful and giving, that in our heart of hearts, We do want to do what's right. We do want to speak the truth in love. We do want to share our possessions. We do want to minister. Now, I pray, Father, if there's someone here who that is far from what their hearts desire, I pray you'll really will bring genuine conviction of sin that they need salvation. May there be no one here who deceives themselves 
into thinking that they're saved when they're not. But for those who are truly converted, Lord, especially those who struggle with this day to day and it's such a battle, I pray that the battle ends and they can simply believe and receive what the word of God says. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside, and you can learn more about us as well as listen to previous broadcasts at our website, versebyverseradio.org. Today's program was the conclusion of a two-part sermon, which is part of a series on how to recognize the children of God. If you'd like to listen to the entire sermon, you can order a free CD by calling Lakeside at 727-239-0306. Ask for message 8759, How to Recognize the Children of God, Part 8. That phone number again is 727-239-0306. I'm your announcer, Jerry Peterson. John Bunyan, in that wonderful old book, Pilgrim's Progress, described one of the most difficult trials experienced by Christian and his friend Faithful. They had been captured by the giant despair, who had them chained in his castle of doubt. After days and days of beatings, starvation, torture, and anguish, they had prayed all night, and just before dawn, Christian shouted incredulously to his friend, What a fool I have been to lie in a stinking dungeon like this when I could just as well walk free. I have a key in my pocket next to my heart called Promise that will, I am sure, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Well, it worked, and very soon the two pilgrims were back on the road to the Celestial City. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.